Believe it or not, the sun rose on Wednesday upon the United States. The world kept turning. And although it is Friday, for some reason, this election is still happening. That's right. Congratulations. You made it to Election Day. T minus 5, T plus 5, T what, where? T plus 4. I, I don't know. This, this is... I... What we are seeing right now, oh, welcome to election 2020. If you're just tuning in, <laughs> Biden now on the cusp of presidency after gains in Pennsylvania, according to the Associated Press today. It has been a very interesting election from the beginning. I have seen people say over and over again, people, people with biases, can you guess which, saying, oh, Trump has no chance, Trump has no chance, and now I see in the recount. Oh, now Trump definitely doesn't have a chance. Oh, well, now I'm going to believe you. Uh, this is still, uh, given the circumstances, like if, if, you were, if you were looking at this from the perspective of a sort of traditional political analysis, and you go, okay, Biden is, I, I, I mean, I hate, to, I hate to do this. I'm full of Drudge again. By the way, Drudge Report, hugely down since it went anti-Trump. And apparently a lot of people were, were reading Drudge Report because they were pro-Trump and because uh, Drudge Report had a conservative bias that you know, validated their worldview. Like, uh, I, I, and I understand there are people who watched Adam vs. the Man because they're new to libertarianism. They want to find out more. They want confidence. You want confidence in your worldview. You have the same that I do. But I, I hope you don't watch Adam vs. the Man for the kind of emotional validation that most people take as their primary motive for watching whatever biased mainstream media news source they're watching, right? And I, I still check Drudge Report. Now, I mean, the main, the main source of content for this show is this crazy place I live in my head. No, but uh, no, it's, it's our editorial team. It's our volunteer editorial team, which is the Producers Club. And it's really amazing. But uh, before I get to that, that's where we have most of the stories. But I, I, I do try check Drudge uh, daily for the show, uh, not because, oh, now it's got a liberal bias, or now it's got an anti-Trump bias. No, I, I check it because it, it still represents a fair window on the mainstream media. And right now this is how the mainstream media is looking at the election, the brink of victory. Biden on track for 80 million votes uh, with 264 electoral college votes, Trump with 214. Uh, the popular vote here summarized as 50.52% for Biden, 47.84% for Trump, which uh, it actually looks like a, a slightly increasing margin for the remainder there, hopefully all going to Joe Jorgensen in the final count. But, you know, yesterday we picked apart these numbers. I, I, and this was really fun, by the way, not, not in line with the original plan for yesterday's show. But uh, Jim and I really got into it going, how accurate are these numbers to begin with? Where are they being cheated and how? Which reminds me of the uh, the law firm of Click and Clack, the Tappet Brothers from NPR. Do we cheat them and how? Uh, yes, 
Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, uh, PLC, right? But this uh, this point we're at today, you know, the, the big question we were asking yesterday is, how much has the libertarian presidential candidate Joe Jorgensen been cheated? And so it was a really fun numbers game uh, to, to, to look at this and go, how much can they distort reality? And as I would remind everyone of my favorite number, 86.75309% of all statistics are made of bullshit designed to manipulate you, and that number only gets higher when we talk about election results. We know that these are not accurate. We know, we know, like, absolutely. Uh, even by their story, their narrative, the status interpretation of events here, these, there's a lot to be counted. There's a lot of inaccuracy. There's a lot of chaos. And, and one of the things that, that I, I'd like to, I mean, I want to take some kind of, always positive takeaway from from looking at the world like this. And as CJ pans over with his cursor all the different states, you can see this. And you know what? Uh, I can't now. Something just struck me like a crazy epiphany. And I can't believe I didn't think of this before. Uh, as we've been following COVID this year, one of the things that I noticed that I pointed out was the overwhelming flood of statistics and graphs and charts and analyses designed not only to, well, <laughs> designed not to inform but to manipulate. Let's, let's just sum it up like that, right? Remember, remember, it was flattened the curve originally. That was, that was why we have to fight corona because if we don't flatten the curve, hospitals will be overwhelmed and more people will die. It's not that deadly, but that's what we have to do. We have to flatten the curve. And because of that, you have to comply with all these government policies. And you can't question them, at least not on YouTube, as we've experienced and learned the hard way here with Adam versus the man. But think about this. Why, why did they put out all of these graphs and charts and statistics about coronavirus? Because if you accept the numbers and you're looking at these graphics and you're, argue, you're arguing interpretation, it's very easy to forget that the numbers were largely fabricated. Uh, in the case of corona, exaggerated, manipulated, overcounted, at least. Uh, I think we can confidently, very, very confidently say that much. When you take a lie and you turn it into a graph or meme or a statistic, it becomes sort of harder to question. And, you know, I, I caught myself. Well, I should, I, should, I should give Jim, comment Jim Marcos, a little more credit for this because he really caught me and, and took the conversation to, hey, come on, Adam. we got to really question these numbers. we got, we got to really, you know, check our, check our data before we draw any conclusions. And so doing that with, uh, like, we've been doing that all, like, and it came to me a little more naturally with Corona. But even at first, like, I fell for some of that. Uh, I hate to admit it, but, again, thanks to our wonderful support team for Adam versus the Man, our core team, executive producer CJ in South Dakota, co-host, comment Jim Freedom in Phoenix, guest booker, 
Marcus Bulis in Indiana and debate manager Mercedes Damrotowski in Nebraska, who's going to be with us in Gardenia this weekend. Very much looking forward to that. So check out. But I'm we're going to do promos like all over the place out on order CJ for the opener here because I want to. I just since I mentioned it here with Gardenia, check out our Instagram page. I uh, haven't updated it in a while, but it's a beautiful gallery there. If you want to come visit, send me an email, adam at thefreedomline.com, if you want to learn about homesteading, off-grid living, earthships, alternative construction, all of that. And so Mercedes is going to be here this weekend. When did you see the other go back up, back up, back up, top right there. You can see the studio, the Freedom Factory. I'm sitting right now, and we are going to be improving the audioscape uh, and, and finishing a little bit of the interior build-out of the building this weekend, hopefully. Looking forward to that. Working with Jim and Mr. Status joining us from Phoenix. So back to the, the, the main point here. I, I want to sort of open this up for discussion today in comments and, and calls if, if, if anybody wants to call in live to the show today. We'll get the link in the comments. You can call in with or without video. Audio only is fine by this StreamYard link. Really fun, easy way to call in and join us today. And the, the, the main point is that you look at the way Corona was presented through graphs and charts and statistics that were all obviously heavily manipulated. And then you see how easy it is for even us here with Adam versus the man, even me, even me, yes, I'm human. Uh, to get to get sucked into this and to look at these numbers as if they're realistic, to look at the map. And it, we're at this point now where the media is, is kind of calling the election. We, we gotta, I don't want to get too much into this because we have, we have some real headlines to cover. We have, some, we have a few headlines uh, cleaning up this mess, or at least, Oh, God, I, I, we can't even say clean out the mess because the mess is still coming. I have to think that the, the mainstream media looking at this, there, there are so many people who are obsessed with this right now. I mean, America's entire political class uh, is, is consumed with following this election, the minutia. I mean, I, I, I'll – some of these headlines – from, uh, you know, from, from Drudge, Biden leads 6,826 votes in Pennsylvania, overtakes by 1,098 votes in Georgia, recount developing. And there's, you know, all this finger pointing by Republicans and Democrats going, they're cheating. And they're right for once. Uh, they're both right. And there's, there's so much cheating, so much manipulation back and forth. There is a little destabilization effect, and, you know, the clip we did from yesterday's show was called, uh, I, I want to I get the word in here, because it was, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Uh, I, think, I think people were happy with this. Oh, God, I got to scroll up in the producer's club. I don't, because, you know, this is following worst election of our lifetimes, confusion shakes confidence in system. So we have, you know, as humanity accelerates, as, as I describe in, in my book, Freedom, read the freedomline.com, of course. If you haven't read it, stop listening to me right now. Go read it. Go download the audio book. Get it for free. Uh, this is 
uh, there, there's an asymptote, the acceleration of the human experience of uh, awareness, connectedness, uh, data processing capability, you know, our, our individual access to information through the World Wide Web, as we call it. There's, uh, as we enter this, this turning point, this acceleration, and of course the big winner of the 2020 election was drugs. Drugs. Congratulations to drugs. Congratulations to all of them decriminalized in Oregon and, and in a lot of other places. We saw cannabis going from uh, zero to medical, medical to recreational, and uh, various other decrim measures around the country for uh, for mushrooms and other other psychedelics. So that that's just yeah. Uh, I mean. Do you think we would, if, if we could just, hey, remember the fantasies from the 60s, the hippies? If we could just dose the water supply with acid, we could have a revolution tomorrow, <laughs> you know? Uh, well, it's not going to be that easy, and I'm just for the record against any deceptive drugging of anyone against their, uh, without their knowledge, yeah. Uh, this is, or without their informed consent, so to speak. We, we are in a weird place. One of the, one of the story blocks we're going to cover today is about Americans leaving, expatriation. It's a story that, you know, we, we sort of cover periodically with Adam versus the man. Uh, but uh, let's do our promos and then check in with the, the audience for comments, see if we have any calls, and we're going to do our election block uh, and then uh, get into – our, uh, the, the rest of our headlines. So I, you've heard me mention a few times the Producers Club. I am absolutely thrilled with how this has developed as a uh, volunteer editorial team and, and, you know, people who back up this message and want to be involved. I'm, I'm reading right now, we have a message from our friend Retribution and uh, Brad Brown. Morning and uh, good morning, Brad. Good morning all watching the live show, but I'm busy as F, that's, that's as fuck. Uh, YouTube, you know, they, they've conceded that. They don't, they won't censor you for language. Just content. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and I, I, we've got some censorship stories today. It's going to be really interesting. But please, check out our website, AdamVersusTheMan.com, if you want to step up your participation. If you're not already watching live, from adamversustheman.com. Go there, check it out. By the way, if you're watching live, share this right now. We, you know, we are, we are uh, up against a new kind of censorship. And it's, it, it's shadow banning, things like that. It's, it's, you know, I, I got to, I got to say a shout out to Ben Heckman one of our friends and fans from Pennsylvania who got me plugged in to be a guest speaker with one of his college classes on Wednesday. And uh, one of the students, she asked me, you know, well, she, she said, you know, I, I, by the way, I hate when people do this. She, she said, well, it seems that you're upset about Facebook censoring you, uh, but as a libertarian, you should know that it's a private business. And I was like, first of all, uh, yeah, there's, there's a little, uh, there's, there's an emotional uh, response to this, but overall, I'm encouraged. 
I mean, if you're not catching, you're not catching flag if you're not over the target, right? And there is a great validation, a great sense of uh, encouragement and hopefulness that I get when I see how censored we are with this message. And it's not easy when your producer who calls you the most censored man on the internet goes, look at him, you've been ripped off by YouTube by uh, the, to the tune of about $80,000 this year of, of ad revenue that you should, got, should have gotten even if they were just monetizing you fairly based on the views you're getting, let alone giving, you're putting you properly in your subscribers' feeds. So I, I'm encouraged. I'm, and, and, you know, we, and it's because of the producers' club. Uh, it's because people are signing up, and, and it's a trickle. It's a slow build. It's tough. And, you know, we can, uh, you know, think about all the things that we would do with $80,000 to promote this message, to build this business, to uh, improve this production. But compared to actually getting together as a team here, doing the work, putting in the time, recognize. I mean, while you're watching, just, just being active and engaged. And I know that there are people who are watching the show right now even – who are relatively casual viewers, and that's great. That's a great start. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I also said to this college class that was a, a reiteration of one of my recent opening monologues is, like, get off the sidelines. Get off the sidelines. Like, what are you doing? If, if, if it wasn't enough to, to, to understand libertarianism and, and the scope of injustice, that the state is responsible for, that we are standing up to, that we have an opportunity to, to stop, to, to at least alleviate a, a huge measure of human suffering by advocating for libertarianism, for freedom, for ethics. Uh, if, if that's not enough, how about corona? How about the lockdowns? How about the shutdowns? How, how about the billionaires uh, doubling their, their net worths? Like, I really, you're still on the sidelines, you're still just, Watching Adam versus the man casually, and, you know, again, I, I'm honored by everybody who entrusts me with the journalistic responsibility of providing you with a fair window on the world so that you can be truly informed. And just to bring it back to the Producers Club, this is how we do it. So $10 a month, AdamVersusTheMan.com. Find the link to Patreon, Patreon.com slash AdamVersusTheMan. Check it out, $10 a month. We have, we have, okay, good, better, and best, sort of our least creative possible naming for our tiers of sponsors and supporters on Patreon. You can give us whatever support you want. We, we, we always get, uh, you know, random people jumping in as sponsors for a while or, uh, you know, hey, I found some old crypto in a wallet and I'm cashing out. I've got some good news about that today as well. Uh, we'll take the support where we can get it. Another way is through merchandise. CJ has put together an amazing store at adamversustheman.com. So please check that out. Uh, and then a couple other quick promos. Our primary uh, affiliate sponsorship right now is cigarfederation.com. And I, I, I don't know if we're going to do Cigars and Sunsets tonight. Honestly, I don't know because uh, – I might have to drive down to Phoenix myself to pick up our friend Mercedes and, and, and possibly uh, a new vehicle. 
Jesus, so that would be very exciting. But uh, we will be smoking cigars this weekend. We will be doing uh, some, some special live shows probably when we've got uh, Will and Mercedes and Jim up here. So check, stay tuned for that. If you're not following me on Twitter, at Adam Kokesh, because uh, we go we'll, we go live with our casual shows as opposed to our formal shows with producer CJ making us look all pretty on screen here. Uh, we're on Periscope. I think that's the best platform, unfortunately, <laughs> right now. But back to CigarFederation.com. ADAM10, promo code ADAM10 gets you 10% off. That's ADAM, all caps, 10 for 10% off at CigarFederation.com. So please check that out. And then, of course, MakeThemDebate.com. Very fun way to make some debates happen. Uh, let's get comment Jim Freedom up on stage here and check in with our audience on this casual Friday while the election is still happening. Whether you wanted to or not, you thought it would be done by now, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. The election still rages on. I posted, rages. Something, I posted something on my Facebook. I, uh, I was just pointing out I Googled. The page, and according to that's another funny point we could point out. Uh, sidebar: all the different sources have different counts. You know, if you Google it yeah. right now, if you go to Google, Biden has 264 electoral votes. If you go to New York Times or NBC, he has 253 or something. <laughs> They're different. Nobody even agrees. Some of them have called Arizona for Biden, but. Most of them haven't. I, nobody knows what the hell is going on. We're just waiting. Uh, yeah, Jim, thank you. you know, you're, I noticed that uh, as well. New York Times, uh, as, as one of the journalistic authorities in calling elections, has a different number from Drudge Report, from AP, from Google. <sighs> it's yeah. just so funny, though, how... It, it, it went so quick, like the, within 24 hours, he was almost at 270. And then for like three days, it's like this one state or two is just having trouble counting their ballots for some reason or whatever. So I, I think the media is playing a game with us now. Not that they, not that they, not that they weren't always playing a game with us, uh, but and I, of course, mean not the media as a whole, but mainstream media is fucking with you to hold your attention because they could call this. Uh, and if, if, if one or two of the leading ones did, the others would have to kind of look at it like when Fox News called Arizona for Biden on election night and allegedly Trump called Rupert Murdoch directly himself to get upset about that and, and you know, asked if they changed it and, and Murdoch said no. Uh, you know, th- th- there's, it, it is, fun to watch the, the super class fighting amongst each other, right? And I, I think that's, you know, again, the, the shaking of the confidence in the system, uh, that's, I, I think at an all-time high, I, I'd like to think it's because they're in that kind of status self-destruct cycle or the, the, the end of an empire, you know, the, the, the curve of empires or the arc of empires that they have traditionally followed across history, you can analyze American uh, history through that lens and go, oh, yeah, we're, we're like an empire in decline right now. Uh, one other observation, Jim, I, I got to add uh, along those lines is that the effect of this has been uh, very effective in shutting out Joe Jorgensen. And one of, one of my uh, predictions that I was, I, I, I was wrong about or um, at least it hasn't come through yet, <laughs> is that there's going to be 
uh, a wave of hatred and blame coming to uh, Kanye West and Joe Jorgensen and the Libertarians. Um, and I, I, I don't know uh, if that's going to happen at this point. I don't know if I want to stand by that prediction even, but I can tell you why it hasn't happened yet, and I guess that my, my, my prediction could still be fine in the sense that I, I, I probably should have rephrased it to say, like, when the votes are counted or when there's a winner settled on, then you're going to see this this wave of, of hatred and resentment and, and finger-pointing and blame game. But right now, they're still the fighting. Over, of the doubt, yeah. They're still fighting. Uh, the, the old part, mommy and daddy are still fighting. <laughs> and uh, maybe, maybe us uh, children in the citizenry here are, are finally ready to emancipate ourselves from our parents and uh, expatriate. We're, we got a fun block about that today on the show. Jim, any, any other critical observations or insights uh, before we get to comments? Uh, well, we got a couple of questions here that are worth addressing, uh, starting with AFITS97 uh, watching on ter- Twitter or Periscope. Adam, do you think these mail-in ballot dumps are rigged? Absolutely. Uh, and now let me, let me, let me point out uh, some context for that. Again, those guys are cheating over there. Yes, they are. Um, you know, and, and so I, I, I want to step away from this. I, I hope that all of our regular viewers on Adam vs. the Man are enjoying a healthy emotional detachment from politics right now, from this election, as we watch from a distance, so to speak. And I, I'd like to think that, uh, you know, this is, this is a big part of the value. Uh, of, of, of what you get from watching Adam versus the man of the service that we provide here, uh, you know, in, in terms of creating a middle ground. And, and I'm, you know, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one, uh, you know, having this effect. But it, it, if it wasn't for messages like this, if it wasn't for uh, this 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 middle way existing of being uh, of being able to, uh, what we're doing now is watching this election, watching the news, watching the duopoly, at least not, not only from a point of, uh, of emotional detachment, but also being able to keep track of the bigger picture. Uh, a lot of what's happening right now, you know, same thing with Corona. You know, it's, it's a diversion. Just, you know, here look, here, look at the monkey. Don't, you know, don't see, never mind what the other hand is doing over here. And... It's important that that we keep that perspective and not get sucked in, but still keep an appropriate eye on what's going on in, in, with the election and the duopoly right now. So it seems like if you don't have this, there's middle ground to occupy, and and you don't need me to do this. Obviously, like you can you can you can put the if you want to be. Uh, if, you, if you want to decode the mainstream media message for yourself or you have other great independent media sources, you know, by all means, I just want to point out the importance of, of maintaining this middle ground. Because if you don't have this, there, there are really only two options on either side. And one is unhealthy emotional attachment and following this as if this is the most important election of our lifetime. And if you don't vote, you're a bad American. You know, and you, you then get 
manipulated emotionally by all of the propaganda and the setup that we're experiencing with this. And then on the other side, it's, it's like complete detachment and, you know, not paying attention at all. And that's not good either. I, I mean, the politicians are, are happy with either of those. If you're not paying attention and you're paying taxes, then great, you're a perfect little tax cow. You know, if you, if you, you, doesn't matter if you vote or not, they can control, if you're not paying attention to the recounts, if you're not, you know, holding them again, doesn't matter who votes, only who counts the votes, right? Stalin, great quote. But if you're not paying attention at all, uh, you know, and and I'd, I'd rather err on that side of not paying attention and living well and just kind of keeping an eye on government from a distance and, you know, making sure that it doesn't hurt you. But there's, I, I think it's worthwhile. I mean, not only do I enjoy this show intellectually, um, I feel like for all the reasons that people feel compelled to read the paper every morning, you know, to, to be informed, to reach out, to enjoy what we're capable of here, and let's appreciate this for what it is with Adam versus the man, but really for anybody who, who gets to do this in today's world with the Internet and is privileged citizens of the American empire with relatively reliable internet access. By the way, if you you don't think the United Soviet Socialist Republics of America uh, are are behind technologically as a result of of socialism and and collectivism and and, and government control and all this, just look at internet in Japan or Korea and you go, oh, oh, that's what we're capable of? Damn, this sucks. (laughs) You know? Uh, But this Ability to look out over the world, like right now, you as a human being alive with internet access in 2020, we enjoy this incredible ability to look out and see the big picture and connect with our fellow human beings all over the planet to at least in spirit and in communication uh, unite the whole human family that way. Uh, So... You know, when I, again, I, I really, we're not going to get sucked into, is it being cheated this way? Is it being cheated that way? No. Um, so when, when, I know this is a long answer, but I appreciate the question, you know, are the mail-in dumps rigged? Yeah, of course they are. Uh, am I going to try to get into evaluating now who's cheating more or more effectively or likely? I don't even, I don't even care enough because here's, one of the ways they want you to get sucked in right now is, well, who's going to win? I got to see who's going to win. You know, I, I got and, and, and I got to do the numbers. Oh, let's look at the numbers. Let's look at this state and that state and how many votes and try. And you know what? I, it's impossible. It's a rabbit hole that they want you to get sucked in to get you more emotionally engaged with with the elections, with the duopoly, with statism, and. Uh, you know, we're not going to play this game on Adam versus a man. You're not going to catch me refreshing Drudge Report every 10 minutes, you know, because I think the media really loves this. I think they're drawing it out because they love it. They love it. And, you know, so many Americans, if you're not in that fully detached side, if you're in that emotionally engaged side, right now, what are you doing? You're, you're checking whatever your favorite news source is a few times a day at least. I, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, if you think, Jim, or anybody in the comments, but I, I think they've really got America sucked in 
to following this. Every American, even the the, the test ones, seem to know, oh, yeah, Biden's on the cusp. Biden waiting for one more state. Everybody's got some sense of this. So uh, I hope that's an important and valued reminder for our audience. Jim? Definitely. I'm, I'm sure you can answer this one pretty quick. There was somebody that's asking, uh, let's see, where was it? Do you think... Oh, I lost the comment. How about that? Well, they were basically asking, uh, here it is, Kareem Mays. Question, Adam, if they keep cheating like this, is there any point to to keep campaigning for JoJo or someone else at a federal level? Yes, absolutely. But this uh, suggests a a different strategic approach. And uh, we are getting ready for 2024. Uh, I, I feel that... The support for my candidacy as as, as not president uh, to resign and, and you know become the custodian to take the federal government through a bankruptcy process and localization. Uh, I don't want to say it's, it's it's growing like crazy because you know we haven't really been promoting it lately and and you know as we've been promoting Joe Jorgensen uh, the last few months. But uh, from from everything that I've gotten from talking to my team. Uh, the support is still there. The enthusiasm is still there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm setting myself up. We're getting ready for 2024. And I uh, might be running for Congress here against Paul Gosser uh, in, uh, in Arizona for U.S. Congress. So that question uh, suggests that it, you know, we need a strategy which takes that into account. and. There are a lot of people in the Libertarian Party who are really libertarian-leaning moderates. And that's okay. That's fine. That's great. The problem is if, if they constitute the majority of uh, delegates at the 2024 convention, you're going to see uh, similar mistakes in tactics in, in the strategic analysis. You are going to see – and, and I, I want to say I'm, I'm grateful – uh, for the attention and consideration of, of so many Libertarian Party members in this 2020 process as I was a uh, primary candidate for the Libertarian Party. And I, I was a lot of people's. I, I think I, there was a joke that I was everybody's second choice, you know, and that's, that's cool. You know, I get it. I'm, I'm relatively young here. Uh, and, and I think people wanted to see me run and complete a campaign, you know, without embarrassing myself. Before, uh, before saying, let's put Adam at the top of the ticket for the Libertarian Party. All reasonable objections to nominating me. And again, I was grateful that we got Joe Jorgensen uh, instead of uh, Gary Johnson. The way I said it, you know, from uh, early on in the campaign is that if the effect of my candidacy is that the Libertarian Party nominates someone like Jacob Hornberger as opposed to someone like Bill Weld, I'll be very happy. Uh, because that means that we're, we've got a candidate who we can promote with confidence, knowing that they're not, that, that our efforts invested in them are going to be put to good use as opposed to diverted to political pandering. Uh, and I, I, I really want to say, you know, congratulations to Joe Jorgensen. And, and again, I haven't done a, you know, we, we're, I'm still waiting to see some write ups and talk to my friend Elijah, our, our former campaign manager, to get, to really get the full scoop on the story of, of the Jorgensen 2020 campaign. Uh, 
but despite what appear to be disappointing numbers, despite the fact that they might all be bullshit, as we discussed yesterday, and, you know, if people want to hack into this again today, the question, the big question from yesterday in terms of how are these numbers manipulated is not, you know, just how much are Trump and Biden's votes exaggerated, but uh, how much has been stolen from Jorgensen? Uh, what, and what they're still reporting her at like 1.1%. And you look at that and you go, mm, yeah, right, okay. Uh, no, not even, I mean, even stretching the, you know, credibility of these results in contrast to the polling that we saw that had uh, a lot of people predicting five plus percent for Jorgensen this year. And that would have been a, that would have been huge. It would have been a breakout year. Maybe we made that. Maybe we got to that point. But to the uh, question here, should we not run Kansas at the federal level? Absolutely, we should. Absolutely. There's no, none of this is a reason uh, that takes away the opportunity of the value in spreading this message, as I've always advocated. And again, even if, even, even if, Politics is not the answer, even if we are never – but, you know, again, I, I, I would say that's bullshit. I mean, look at, look at drug legalization. That did not happen by accident. That did not happen without activists supporting those uh, ballot measures. So uh, – but even if it's all rigged, even if we're not allowed on the ballot, which we are – I mean, Joe Jorgensen was on every state ballot. Right, that's a, that's a major accomplishment for a third party in the United States to be able for us for us to be able to say we're on all 50 ballots. You can vote for a libertarian for president if you're voting in the United States. And even if they kept us up the ballot, we could have run a right. We should we should run a right. Like if the LP disappeared, and you know uh, there was nobody other than the duopoly candidates running for president, I would run as a publicity stunt writing candidate just to be, just because when I say I'm running, I'm therefore a threat to the system. I'm offering something significantly different and you have to consider this and pay attention because we're making noise. I think that's that even then it would be worthwhile. And, and this suggests again, the strategic, uh, conclusions that, that that we came to that led us to run on this platform, that whatever it is, you know, and, and I don't want to say, like localization. This idea of, of dissolving the federal government is so far the only idea, and it's not. It's I, you know, I don't I think I'm the first one to come up with this. Um, I think I'm the first one to put this together in a cohesive, coherent platform, uh, and and what we can fairly describe as a peaceful, orderly, responsible bankruptcy process. But if you don't, if you're not offering something that meaningfully different from the status quo, you're playing their game. And saying, we, we have someone that we can put up as president who's going to be a better president. Does America, as opposed to asking the question, does America need a president? Does America even need a federal government at all? And that would lead you to the strategic conclusion as it has to us that we, we have to put forth uh, not just a principled libertarian for 2024 for our presidential nominee, but someone who can really get people's attention, offer something fundamentally different, and get us to a breakthrough year for the Libertarian Party 
Because if, if Joe Jorgensen had been polling at 25, 30%, for example, uh, and she wasn't. I, I think, what Joe, I, again, I want to congratulate Joe for completing this campaign honorably and sticking to principle and representing the Libertarian Party well the whole time. That's, that is, uh, remember, Bill Wells couldn't pull that off as a VP nominee, right? And a Spike Cohen. Spike Cohen uh, also. Great job. Congratulations. Uh, and, and thank you for your service to the cause and the movement. Uh, I hope that for 2024, we have a critical mass of people involved in the Libertarian Party, obviously as delegates to the National Convention who get to choose the nominee, who understand this strategic analysis. So get involved. Get involved now. Uh, get ready to run in 2020, or excuse me, 2022. Uh, get involved with your state party or county party and, you know, Think about being a delegate in 2022 to the Libertarian Party National Convention, not because we're nominating a candidate, but we reelect all of our national leadership every two years, and we set policy at those national conventions. So, Jim, let's let's get to some more critical comments here, um, and then uh, we, we'll, we'll do a. We got to get to uh, some headlines. Absolutely, we at least got to cover the election blocking. Oh my God, it's like it's, it's, it's the only news we get to today is to catch everybody up on the election. That would, that would be kind of tragic, wouldn't it? But at least better than us getting sucked into discussing this like political nonsense for all two hours. Fair enough. Uh, our friend Peter Yapel is weighing in. Um, I was about to ask. Yes, get read that whole thing from the producers' club, please. Oh, from the producers' oh, club. Well, oh, no, read read this other one oh I didn't see. He has a Facebook comment. Yeah, read that first. Yeah, well, he was just saying you should run for Congress because it would give you two years of public view to help in the next run in four years. All people that are planning to run in 24 should run for something in 22 for that name recognition. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I, I, I don't want to get too derailed on this uh, subject right now because I think we've, we've hit it pretty hard this week, encouraging people to run for office as, as libertarians. But, uh, yeah, and it's a little early to announce, but here's the thing is right now uh, you need to be making – if you're going to run in 22 – and, and there are plenty of last-minute campaign decisions. I get that, and that's fine. Those are those are great too. But it, it, you're going to be a lot better off thinking ahead, planning ahead. And this time, the winner of an election year, that's the time to be looking ahead to the next cycle. And some of the analysis that we're doing today is going to set the stage for that. But it really doesn't matter for a libertarian. Like for me, you know, I'm going to look at this congressional race. Uh, you know, what is it? You know, who's the incumbent? Or what's the population of the district? Do I feel like driving? I love this area. Of course, I feel like driving around. And it's a big district here. It's, it's a very rural uh, district here in, in mostly northern Arizona, northern mid Arizona. Um, but, you know, what, again, what are the requirements for that office? You know, and, and I, and I got to consider really is there uh, a better local race I might, I might run for? But, uh, if, if anybody wants help with this, there's nothing I, I – I mean, I love helping other people uh, be better activists, be better candidates. And if you want to email me, adam at thefreedomline.com, I will probably just send you my number and say, call me and, and let's get into it and, and either pick a race for you for 22 or, or design a strategy or, you know, you know get, get into the analysis of, of whatever you might be looking at. 
So, Jim, could you read uh, Peter's comment from the Producers Club, please? Yeah, yeah, I just pulled it up here. Okay, so from Peter Yapel on our Producers Club, it's evident and apparent that if you look at the maps and statewide that those in that those in rural areas and not city concentrated voted more for R's than D's, Republicans than Democrats, and it makes absolute sense to me. If you live and exist only upon government assistance, you live in areas such as that. How how do we <clears throat> excuse me? How do we then find a way to convince people that they don't need the government in order to live? We need to first keep in mind that we are probably the old group of laziest human beings assembled on the planet. If we can get if we can have <clears throat> excuse me, if we can have something given to us, we take it. But when it comes to working for what we need, it seems to become a problem to many in this country that have been groomed to rely upon the government to take care of them. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Great insight there. Uh, this this dependency issue, uh, like Romney saying his campaign was, what, is 47% common? Um, again, Localization, localization, localization. You want to really break the chains. It's going to be a lot easier when you can leave and take what's been stolen from you back with you. And, it, it, again, if you look at our platform, progressforpresident.com, the idea of the bankruptcy, giving the land that has been stolen, you know, 50% of the acreage west of the Mississippi owned by the federal government, uh, all of the federal assets returned as, as directly as possible to the people. Uh, that, you know, like, there, there does come a point where uh, this kind of slavery or, or dependency, rather, uh, can be done voluntarily. Like, and it, it, we have to show people in a way that you're better off, if, even if you want that, you're better off getting that through voluntary means. If you want to, if you want to sell your sovereignty for welfare, uh, there will be plenty of local governments that will oblige you in that. And uh, you, you know, some people will say, "Well, it won't be as effective as the federal government when they can't print money and steal from everybody." Sure, uh, but that's. Uh, a bigger question of, of economics that, that I, again, I don't want to get sidebarred too much on that in, in deconstructing all the current paradigm of government economics, but, you know, we know as libertarians that voluntary, cooperative, peaceful solutions are always superior to coercive rackets that we live under today. Uh, our producer, CJ, had to weigh in on this and said in the producer's club chat, some people want to live in the matrix. And he's got all these graphics, yeah, like Neo dodging bullets. Well, <sighs> I, think that, yeah. I think the idea is people think that the federal government, it would be a better service from them because the general consensus is that they have all the money and they have all the power. And that's why they think, oh, well, if it was up to the state, it wouldn't be as good. But in reality, if we got rid of the federal government, the state would be that much more powerful and that much more wealthy in itself, not having to give up to the federal government. So they would have more resources as a state to provide even better services than the federal government would ever even yeah. giving. It's just, it's, there, there, there are two ways of looking at this. One, 
that well, we have to change the paradigm. You know, we have to wake people up in a critical mass where they fundamentally want something, you know, they, they want to leave the matrix. We have to convince them not to be uh, that guy going, the, ma- the computer is telling me that this steak is delicious, you know, make me somebody important in the matrix. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we have to do that, though, because the other analysis or the other approach is the sort of specialization of leadership. And, and I, I think with localization, we can convince enough people like, hey, this will immediately improve your lives. And if we accept that as a standard for political policy, then let's step up and meet that as libertarians as opposed to, well, if you read a bunch of books on economics and philosophy and, and then you come to agree with me on everything, you see this whole thing is a racket, then you'll vote libertarian, and then you see that you understand these positions and why they would make your life better as opposed to, hey, we're going to localize government. You're going to get your shit back from the feds. You're going to get more customized uh, a more customized government experience at the local level. Everybody gets more of what they want. And I, I think that's a better strategy. I think that's a better approach. Um, and it's not that people are dumb. It's not that people are sheep. It's that they have been tricked into what they think is a, uh, what's the term, rational ignorance, right? Like, uh, it's rational for me to be ignorant about how to rebuild uh, a car engine. I, I, I get it. I don't know that. The mechanics know that. I would rather be a podcaster, activist, etc., and hire a mechanic. And similarly for the average American, especially now they're so turned off about politics, government is so big and disgusting. They don't want anything to do with it. And if we can, as libertarians, be the one that they turn to and, and, and trust to, to create policy that makes their lives better, I think that's a better approach. I think localization, you know, again, meets, you know, checks all those boxes. Yeah, I like that. Okay, right, one Jim, more comment. Last Facebook, call, yeah, last it'll call. Lead you, it'll lead you into your next segment because I think it's a good question, and it's kind of scary because obviously uh, we can all agree that the lies are telling us that this whole thing is going towards Biden, right? Can we? Are we all in agreement that it looks like Biden's going to be taking this thing, or is there any question in that? Oh, I am not at all settled on that, uh, it, and it looks that way. The the uh, you know and again the the mainstream media and the government they spend a lot of time and energy creating this illusion that is very intricate. It's very comprehensive. There's a lot to it. And if you go, is this real? You you get sucked in. And I don't want to do that. All all we have to do is point out that before the election, the night before the election, the night of the election, all of these. Media outlets through which we're getting this impression, Jim, we're saying Biden's going to win either decisively, barely, or in a landslide. And neither of those were true. And I, like I said from the beginning, I stand by my position uh, that this is too close to call still. And I say that because I believe while it very much truly looks like Trump is behind He's the president of the United States. He's got a finger on the red button. There's a reason there's such a strong dynamic of incumbent advantage in the American political system. So the it's still close enough that if Trump pulled this out, I would not be shocked. Okay, fair enough. 
Well, if, hypothetically, if Biden did get elected, it, it, to me personally, it's a scary thought. And like this person mentions, Nick Nielsen, he says, get ready for endless face diapers, lockdowns, little boxes to stand on, and arrows to follow, like a bunch of sheep. Do you think, hypothetically, if Biden did pull this off, that he's going to do the face mandate, face mask mandates federally like he's been talking about and all those other things? Or do you think he'll just back off all that? Uh, I, I, I don't really buy into that fear-mongering. Because I'm not so much of a sucker for the duopoly that I would ever believe I have more to fear from one faction of the American fascist party versus the other faction. It's, it's very subjective predicting or analysis to say Biden is going to represent this threat. I, I mean, unless he said clearly, you know, unless government is really – Sometimes, sometimes in elections, government is genuinely presenting the option. Do you want government to grow by 10% or 8%? And if the people say, oh, no, 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 it's already too big, we want, and however they actually present it, you know, they're not, they don't put those numbers, that's not how they say it, right? Um, but uh, is there, uh, uh, is the super class going, hey, can we, in some ways, the super class might be seeing through this election. Could we get away with 10% instead of 8%? Could we get away with a Biden instead of a Trump, and that's going to grow government more? Um, maybe, but even then, uh, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing you would be looking at before the election, not, not at this point. Uh, are we going to jump in as libertarians and try to pull this either way? No. I mean, the forces at play here, I think, are beyond any of our influence at this point. However this is resolved, uh, there's, I don't want to say don't be involved, but like I, I wouldn't suggest anybody get involved to, to, to tip the scale for Trump or Biden. Uh, does, does Biden represent a unique threat? I don't know. Uh, Trump represents a unique threat to gun rights uh, with what he said about red flag laws and, and bump stock bans. Um, government has grown under Trump where it, it shrunk under Biden. And, and I, it's not that simplistic of an analysis but just even show, pointing out those couple of contradictions just blows all of this other silly, simple analysis out of the water. Like, well, we have to favor Trump because Biden's going to do mandates for this and that and the other. I, I'm I didn't say anything about favoring Trump, but I, I think we, we still are, are working on getting to the bottom of how much we're manipulation because I, I feel like this year and you also as you pointed out our technology being different the way we're growing faster because of our our connection to the world around us because of technology I think that plays its role into how the the, the largest people in power are they know that this system isn't going to last that many more cycles so they're they're eventually they're going to make their move and I feel like because this has been so obviously retardedly given, you know, Biden more credit than he deserves and the libertarians less, I feel like it's it's their last death throes before they just fully take over. And, and you know, like I said, it, I, I'm at 50-50 whether or not we get to have another election in four years. <laughs> oh, no, we'll Very make it. Serious. 
No, the momentum of the racket is strong enough for that. Thank you for, for weighing in, Jim. We'll check in with you after a few headlines here to check back in with the audience for comments and see if we have any callers. Again, if you want to check in, uh, if you want to call in today, very easy. The link is in wherever you're watching this in the comments. Thanks to our producer, CJ, and comment Jim Freedom. Uh, I, I hope you guys are enjoying a, a sort of more, you know, it's not just casual Friday, uh, but this week it seems we've taken more time for conversation uh, to, to really understand this confusing. It, it's confusing. It's very deliberately confusing uh, illusion of the election, this whole story being told to us right now by government and the mainstream media. And taking the time to – you guys like seeing comments, Jim Freedom, up here a little bit more? You guys like hearing from him and, and taking more comments and questions? I appreciate it, especially the questions today. Those were some really good thought-provoking questions, and I think that kind of discussion format, rather than like a heavy headline, boom, 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 this is the news format, is is probably better at serving uh, even the journalistic, but the, the, the core purposes of Adam versus the man. So let me know today what you think about that in the comments. Quick shout-out to Pete Ayer and Adamo Freeman, in case you were wondering about this hoodie I'm wearing. It is, it, is, it is a throwback to 2007. Uh, uh, there's a website on the back that it doesn't exist anymore, but shout out to the to two of my greatest inspirations for my activism, Pete Ayer and Adamo Freeman, uh, both of whom are, are uh, have moved on in their lives in their own ways, and I, I just, if, if those guys ever get to hear this, uh, I miss you in the movement, and and I think others would appreciate your presence as well. And and I still wear this hoodie. This and, and in case anybody is is just listening to the audio production, this hoodie, it's it's really cool. It's got the Gadsden snake on it, you know, like the cover of the Metallica CD. Uh, <laughs> but it's yellow on on a black hoodie. And I and when I wear this, I get compliments. I, it's like just hoodie, very simple graphic. But uh, you know, we might maybe we should do our own version. That's the white snake. Uh, on a black. You want to do that, CJ, for the store? I think that would be uh, that would be a good seller right now, right? Get this with the with the white snake on a black hoodie, but with with anniversaryoftheman.com on the back. Anyway, all right. Uh, now that we're an hour into the show, let's get to some headlines. APnews.com: Biden on cusp of presidency after gains in Pennsylvania. Democrat Joe Biden was on the cusp of winning the presidency on Friday as he opened up narrow leads over President Donald Trump in the critical battlegrounds of Georgia and Pennsylvania. Those put Biden in a stronger position to capture the 270 electoral college votes needed to take the White House the winner will lead a country facing a historic set of challenges, including asserting pandemic and deep political polarization. Isn't it supposed to be an historic one, AP, here? Come on. Uh, but this is <laughs> the state of things. I think we've we've covered this more than enough in our in our uh, you know first hour of the show today. But I got to think that the the, the Mainstream media pundits right now are very frustrated and very pissed off with Donald Trump and really doing everything they can to promote this narrative of, you know, a legitimate victory for for Biden. But most Americans don't believe in the legitimacy of the elections in general. I, I don't say the legitimacy. Most Americans believe in the legitimacy, but they don't believe in the integrity. So when we see something like this, again, I think that the bigger narrative here is that uh, 
It's almost too soon to say, but I can't imagine a political clusterfuck like this not having a positive effect on America in terms of the average American questioning the system as a whole more than ever before. So our next headline from the Daily Beast, alleged QAnon goons with AR-15 arrested near vote center, colon, reports. Now, when you see uh, such a non-journalistic headline such as this, uh, goons, you know, this is coming from a biased perspective. Police said an armed group had driven up for, from Virginia in a Hummer with violence in mind. The vehicle is reported to have been covered in QAnon stickers. Philadelphia police took at least one man into custody Thursday night as they probed an alleged plot to attack the city's convention center, where the swing state's votes are still being counted, according to reports. Tensions have been high outside of the Pennsylvania Convention Center since Election Day with opposing groups of President Donald Trump and Joe Biden's supporters gathering to protest outside the building. But Philly police appear to have prevented something much more dangerous. According to multiple reports, a heavily armed group is said to have driven a GMC Hummer up from Virginia to carry out the alleged plot. No one was reported injured and police did not identify the detained suspect or provide details about the threat. But video showed a man being taken away in handcuffs and police retrieving a large gun. The Philly Inquirer reported that the group was armed with AR-15 rifles. Now, you know, I don't, I don't want to read too much into the story. I'm just sharing this because someone put it in the Producers Club chat, and it is a legitimate story to report on about, you know, where are we in our post-election uh, cage match on the streets of the U.S.? There are people in Arizona protesting at uh, ballot counting sites. There are people in Detroit doing similar actions, and this is the first we have seen of, uh, you know, a significant threat of violence. And I think back to, remember there was the guy who stormed Comet Ping Pong Pizza in uh, Washington, D.C. because of Alex Jones's coverage of the uh, Pizzagate pedophilia ring conspiracy theory being run out of a pizza shop in Washington, D.C., who, you know, got there with a rifle and pointed at a bunch of people and then... Uh, yeah, uh, I wouldn't be surprised, given the, you know, just, especially now, especially now, and I, I, I guess I would just take this as a reminder for everyone, stay frosty, people, you know, out here in, in rural Arizona, it's not a unique threat, most people are pretty healthy in their detachment from this process, but just remember, we've covered a lot of the stories this year about the mental health state of the average American. And in the era of coronaphobia, of lockdowns and shutdowns and, and economic desperation, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, so many negative consequences of lockdowns and shutdowns, and now this. You think someone's going to snap? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would be surprised if we get to the end of this the actual end of this election, and, and there isn't some violence. Not just the, the, the not just like street scuffles, uh, but you know even even an escalation. I hope it would be like a, a an, an exclamation mark at the end of a sentence for this particularly disgusting period of polarization in American politics with the kind of street violence we've seen between uh, QAnon and uh, the Patriots and the Trump supporters. And the Proud Boys versus Antifa and BLM, Black Lives Matter, 
but it, it, we, we have a lot of work to do to get America sort of recentered. And honestly, I don't know. Uh, you know, the, the question was asked earlier today. What, uh, you know, are you, basically, you know, what about Biden imposing a national mask mandate or ratcheting up the coronaphobia response, the uh, anti-scientific, pro-authoritarian, pro-billionaire policies that corona has given given government the excuse for? And and honestly, I I don't know. I I don't think we can predict this. you know, if, if Biden wins, are we? Because you know, we see that, like, just again, you know, there, we do have a couple stories today uh, for Corona updates in the U.S. Uh, we'll get to in a few minutes here. But when we look around the world, uh, the what governments have been able to do with Corona uh, is not following a, a sort of comforting predictable or rational art and you weren't expecting government to be rational and consistent were you that would kind of defeat the purpose wouldn't it uh we see lockdowns lifted reimposed we see uh mandates test uh, mask mandates test mandates go and come back so i, I don't know uh i i am i am very hopeful uh that when the transition settles out in, in January one way or another, whether it's Trump or Biden and all the new members of Congress and the Senate are, are sworn in and, you know, uh, state and local officials as well, that you're going to see, and this is, this would be my prediction and my hope, that at least at that point we are going to see a significant de-escalation of uh, corona policy, but until then, oh, by the way, Mercedes in the Telegram chat, uh, and we're getting ready to take off, I'll let you know when I land, y'all, okay, so I'm excited, this is, by the way, Mercedes has never flown commercially, um, I don't know, I could maybe, um, we'll hear, I'm looking forward to hearing from her, you know, what this experience has been like, uh, even though she has no basis for comparison of what it was like flying pre-COVID, but, uh, you know, for everybody who has the courage to get out there these days, uh, just remember, as, as we've been saying from the beginning, that uh, police are somewhere on the scale of five to ten times more dangerous right now because they can use corona as an excuse. And if you don't, hey, you don't believe me, we're, I, there's a 911 story about this coming up in just a few minutes. But first, I will get through these. Let's just, anyway, we've done with the election for the week, right? And then take a weekend and, and, and really uh, decompress from this. But our next headline from The Guardian, Steve Bannon, banned by Twitter for calling for Fauci, beheading former Trump advisor, falls foul of Twitter rules with heads on pikes comments. Twitter's banned the account of the former Donald Trump advisor and surrogate Steve Bannon after he called for the beheading of Dr. Anthony Fauci and the FBI director Christopher Wray and the posting of their heads outside the White House as a warning. Now, <laughs> I'm pretty sure this wasn't serious. Um... Like, what's the quote here? Second terms kick off with firing Ray, firing Fauci. No, I actually want to go a step further, but the president is a kind-hearted and a good man. I'd actually go back to the old times of Tudor England. I'd put their heads on pikes, right? I'd, I'd put them at the two corners of the White House as a warning to federal bureaucrats. You either get with the program or you're gone. I'm pretty sure he's not serious about this. I, I don't think this this came with an, an explanation of, and we're going to have this kind of due process, and this is how it's going to affect the legal system, and this is how we bring back 
death sentences for politicians in the United States or bureaucrats. Blah, blah. No, no, no. Uh, so this kind of censorship uh, is... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I hate to say I'm on the fence about it. It's definitely not what Twitter is saying. Um, but if they're going to say you can't make, you know, it, it, well, it's, it's definitely not what the Guardian is saying. Uh, is, is Bannon actually calling for Fauci to be beheaded in a serious way? No. He's making a bad joke. He's trying to make a point. And I don't, I wouldn't do this. I don't like this. And this is, I, I don't like how this, brings down the conversation. I hope if you ever catch me doing anything like this on the show, you'll stop me, you'll jump in with some comments, and you'll say, Adam, Adam, you crossed that line you talked about. You better jump in with some big, clear caveats and, and, and disclaimers on that statement. Uh, so with this, like, I, I don't like this language, and I'm not going to say, well, censor it because I don't like it. Uh, and, and, and try to use Twitter's excuse of, well, there, there's some unique threat here. There's not. But, uh, yeah, more bias from Twitter. And, and we do have some more uh, censorship stories if, if we get to them today, but they are kind of low priority. We might do a bigger block with them next week. Hopefully we'll have uh, – we'll, we'll be in a new phase. Hopefully one of these states that has yet to be decisively called will, will have figured their shit out by Monday and we'll, we'll at least enter the new phase where unless Trump pulls off some kind of crazy legal challenge, Biden's going to be president and, and, you know, maybe uh, we'll, uh, we'll get that. Um, comment from the Producers Club, have a retribution going off the proverbial cliff in full regalia. Yeah. All right, so the next headline from ComoNews.com, Biden's potential Arizona win could be McCain's revenge, GOP strategist says. A former advisor to now deceased Senator John McCain said Wednesday that former vice president and Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden's potential Arizona win would likely stand out as the Republicans' final blow against adversary President Donald Trump if Biden wins. The Grand Canyon states it will be a major posthumous victory for the former Republican senator, former McCain advisor Mike Murphy said on MSNBC, a Biden win would also mark the first time a Democrat presidential nominee has won Arizona since 1996. And the idea here is that because Trump said mean things about McCain, Arizona voters don't like Trump and are more, you know going to vote Democrat as the alternative. Fun little quirk of the narrative here. But uh, even Arizona, even Arizona right now, some of these media outlets are saying, well, until, you know, all the mail-ins are counted, we can't decisively call Arizona for Trump. And I'm sure there's a lawsuit or two from the administration or Trump himself uh, about, you know, the vote counting here in Arizona. NBC, for our next headline, shows... uh, Weakening in the system itself. Uh, and and uh, the one other story, I, I guess, th- that I didn't have in the links today is, is worth pointing out is that there's a group of 19 former attorney generals who served under Republican president saying that Trump should stop his uh, legal challenges to this. And I just want to point out whose president is not based on legality lawfulness, 
or a precise process that respects the will of the American voter, but rather a kind of social and institutional momentum of a critical mass of buy-in. What makes someone president? What makes them effective as president? That people will follow their orders. That's what it comes down to. And if, if Trump is able to pull off the illusion that he won, that's all it takes. If enough people buy in and are willing to, uh, to support his authority. So this next story is relevant in that dynamic by pointing out that Trump might not have a secretary of defense if he win, wins or, or claims a second term here. So the headline from NBC News, long at odds with Trump Defense Secretary Esper has prepared a resignation letter. Officials say Esper also plans to help Congress draft legislation to strip military bases of Confederate names, which would further alienate him from Trump. Defense Secretary Mark Esper has prepared a letter of resignation. It's not uncommon for cabinet secretaries to prepare updated letters of resignation during a presidential transition, giving the commander-in-chief a chance to replace them for a second term. The president decides whether to accept the resignation letters, and the process, process usually occurs after the election results are clear. But defense officials say Esper prepared his letter because he was one of the cabinet officials long expected to be pushed out after the election. Excuse me, as his tenure may be coming to an end, Esper's helping members of Congress draft legislation that will, excuse me, strip names of Confederate leaders from military bases, blah, 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 blah. So at odds with President Trump. And, and it's not as clear cut as if Trump gets reelected, I refuse to serve. Uh, there have been some notable resignations of that nature during the Trump uh regime's reign thus far. And here's the, I'm sorry I didn't mention this earlier when, when we were discussing the potential threat of Biden with uh, mask mandates or uh, locked national policy on COVID, things like that. You could make, you know, even if you buy into this idea that the Republican Party is meaningfully a small government alternative or slightly smaller or slower growing government alternative to the Democrats, clearly Trump is a champion, a defender, a promoter, and an executor of government growth. The government has grown by, by pretty much every metric uh, under the Trump administration. And if he gets a second term, it's not that it would be considered a mandate, but that he would be unbridled. Uh, for, now, see, this is like if you're Trump and you get elected to be president, your first term you're going to govern. Yeah, and, and, and CJ always always there with usdebtclock.org, fun website worth checking out if you haven't seen it yet, with the actual counts in real time as, as accurate as can be from you know government input numbers here. Uh, but if you're Donald Trump in your first term and you really enjoy being president and you're the, the egomaniac and, and uh, uh, narcissist and, and blah, 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 then you're going to you're going to you're going to govern with the objective of getting a second term. And in that sense, you know, uh, politicians are like diapers. They should be changed often and for the same reason. So. It's not just that, but when you give a president a second term, they are unbridled by the 
ego check of, oh, I'm going to be facing re-election. And, I, you know, in that sense, there, there might be a greater fear uh, of, of growing government under Trump than with Biden. And again, you know, the, this is subjective. And I'm not going to play this game. I, I, I hope, <laughs> I really hope that the dramatic conclusion to this uh, drawn-out vote counting process is over by this weekend so that, that we can move on from all of this. So first, um, uh, so a couple positive pieces of news coming out of this election. And CJ, I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead here to the BillingsGazette.com link. I can't believe we missed this story. I really, I really can't. But thanks to the Producers Club, we got it today. One really beautiful, positive note to come out of the 2020 election already, aside from all the victories for drugs, the Billings Gazette has this story. Wyoming Green River candidate becomes first libertarian to win state house seat anywhere in U.S. since 2002. Green River Libertarian Marshall Burt made history Tuesday night, scoring a stunning upset over popular Democratic Representative Stan Blake to become the first Libertarian to win a state house race anywhere in the U.S. in nearly two decades. So thank you to Nick Reynolds for covering this story for the Billings Gazette. And this is a, a major important accomplishment for the Libertarian Party, especially following what happened in the last election cycle where we saw not one, not two, but three Republican state reps, great friends of mine, uh, just incredible, incredibly courageous activists, not politicians, at least not anymore, switched their affiliation as sitting state legislators from Republican to Libertarian, and they all lost in their re-election attempts. Uh, of course, the Republican Party said, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have any suspectors. No, no, no. We're, we're going to make an example out of you. And so running and winning then as a Libertarian in 2020, you know, I I, I, I know a lot of Libertarians are, are want to be pessimistic about big vote totals. Uh, where we know we are being lied to and manipulated. But here, this, you know, might just be, if we, if we want to be optimistic, and I do, uh, you know, realistically optimistic, this is a hole in the dam. Whether the duopoly can put a finger in it, I don't know, remains to be seen. But I hope this encourages every libertarian in the country to look at your state legislature and look at your district for state house or, or state senate and consider running for one of those seats. So a nine-point winner in Tuesday's election, Burt will also become Wyoming's first third-party legislator in more than a century and the only libertarian out of his party's sixth candidate slate to win in a year. Some believe third parties will begin to make inroads into the state's political landscape. Burt now becomes the first Libertarian Party or Libertarian anywhere in the country to win a state house election since 2002 and the first Libertarian candidate who didn't previous rep- previously represent another party to win since the 90s. Also a shocking defeat for Blake, a beloved figure in local politics who often votes closely with Republicans in the Wyoming House. Uh, Blake was one of two Dem incumbents in Sweetwater County to suffer defeats to conservative candidates Tuesday night. 
Oh, really, Mr. Reynolds? You wanna you wanna call this libertarian a conservative? <clears throat> I don't know about that. Uh, so this is a, a testament to the strategy of of local races and the Frontier Project. And shout out to uh, Paulo Pizel and and everybody else doing great work for the Libertarian Party, who targeted Wyoming specifically for. The possibility of victories like this. A quick quote here from our Victor Burt. He said, we just want to live our lives day to day. We want to go to work, go fishing, hunting, enjoy the outdoors with all this COVID stuff coming out. There have just been more and more restrictions. People come out to enjoy wide open spaces and they're just tired of everything. And I'm one of those individuals. Uh, Burt also had significant assistance from the National Libertarian Party with strategists coming to Wyoming. Rating his and his fellow, and fellow candidate Bethany Baldus campaign is their best opportunity to win seats. Uh, Baldus, by the way, this is really exciting here. Loss, an exciting loss. Loss to Republican Ember Oakley in Riverton on Tuesday by 33 votes. Wow. So, uh, Burke said his biggest priorities would be preventing increasing tax burdens on Wyomingites and pursuing alternative means to delivering education. Uh, the story ends. With, uh, with the, another great quote from him, I think it's irresponsible to come out and say this is what I'm going to do in my first 100 days because in reality, the Libertarian Party does not have a majority. So we do have to see how things fall in place and work with what we have available. Very exciting, positive news coming out of Wyoming for the Libertarian Party for 2020. And I hope everybody takes our, our friend uh, Marshall Burt uh, as, as an example to follow. And I know there are a few other stories like this that we may have missed uh, in terms of giving a full, comprehensive libertarian electoral roundup. Uh, so if you have more stories that you'd like to share about where the LP is politically, please, uh, you're going to email them to me. Um, if, you, if you want, put them in the comments. You know, maybe Jim or CJ will see them and pass them on to us. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I know, I know we have a little more, yourself some more celebrating to do. It's been put off with all this other nonsense, and uh, I, I want to give, you know, keep giving all of our libertarian candidates more coverage and uh, learning the lessons as libertarians from 2020. Comment from the Producers Club, Festerving says, I got suspended on Twitter a few times. I told Donald Trump to slap himself and got suspended for inciting violence. Oh, Twitter. Oh, Twitter. Uh, oh. Now, you know, again, Fester think Donald Trump should slap himself. I, I, I don't even consider that in my category of like, you know, dragging down the, the the conversation with negativity. I mean, maybe barely, but it's such a silly thing to say, right? You're not like, oh, yeah, Trump should just go slap himself. And, and, and Twitter censors you for that, for inciting violence. Obviously, there's some political bias there. But, man, how, how you know, even, even for me, I, I've, I've got all these subjective lines in my head that I can't cross when I'm doing this podcast. Although, at this point, I, I I'm just going to say whatever I feel like, at least on this full production. But, you know, we got to be careful when we, when we make our clips and post them on YouTube. Um, or, or even our headlines and put them on Twitter. You, that, Pastor Fink, I appreciate you pointing that out. Uh, but yeah, even joking about violence or even these like really silly 
you go slap yourself kind of comments can be seen as inciting violence. <sighs> All right. Another note of positive news coming out of the election. Bitcoin value jumps after DOJ seizes record amount. Maybe not so much to do about the election, but as we've seen stock markets go up after the election, it's, I know as a libertarian, I'm tempted to say, oh, well, uh, yeah, everybody in the uh, corporate and banking class is, is happy that this election sort of got pulled off in a way where we made sure that a libertarian is not going to be present. They weren't, they weren't keeping their money out of the markets out of fear that Joe Jorgensen would be president of the United States. But there is a certain comfort, I suppose, and, and a, a transition economically that we're already experiencing where we're seeing money moving differently as a result of the uh, being post-election. So, uh, and, and maybe it's just all of these corporate sponsors that had to sell some stocks in order to bribe politicians to make sure that no matter whether it was Trump or Biden, their corporate interests would be uh, well represented in policy. So this story from Axios, the value of a single Bitcoin cracked $15,000 Thursday afternoon following a Justice Department seizure of about $1 billion worth of the cryptocurrency from the dormant dark website Silk Road. Why it matters via Axios Dan Primark. This is the largest ever government seizure of Bitcoin to date. The confiscation caused prices to jump because so much was taken out of circulation, but the government could likely auction it all off later. What they're saying, quote, Silk Road was the most notorious online criminal marketplace of its day. Uh, and, of course, the propaganda against, you know, it's uh, – I mean, what the Silk Road did was allow people to get drugs safely. And, and I, I guess I have to remind some of our younger viewers of this because now this is I'm, – I'm part of the Silk Road story in a way that goes back to 2010 uh, when I spent all my $5 Bitcoins on drugs on the Silk Road. And uh, yeah, I can wring my hands over – being a better Bitcoin enthusiast and promoter of markets rather than an investor and saver, uh, I am, you know, I am glad to have promoted the Silk Road during that time. And basically, it was a dark web drug marketplace where you could you could buy drugs from sources who got reliable ratings, at least like they would from uh, you know from an eBay type system with seller ratings and accountability that way. Uh, that still allowed both buyers and sellers to be anonymous uh, or pseudonymous, as, as they might say in the crypto sphere. And it, it allowed people to get drugs by mail that in many cases were critical medications for kids. There were a lot of people who lived in areas in the United States back in 2010 that didn't even have any kind of medical cannabis or in, in some places, even legal CBD. And, and remember, 2010, just 10 years ago, CBD, which is now sold in gas stations, was still, I think at that point, most of the United States, by jurisdiction, it was still illegal. Uh, certainly Texas at that point didn't even have, uh, you know, legal medical CBD. And there were a lot of people who were able to get medicine like never before safely because of, the Silk Road. Um, so a lot of stuff going on there. Hopefully next week we'll have more on developments with this story specifically and with uh, the, the, the state of Bitcoin in general, especially as it relate, relates to this 
Oh, and then Peter is going to be coming by to meet Mercedes this weekend. Peter Yable. Yes, Peter, you're welcome. Just text me. We'll figure it out. I'd uh, love to have you here for, for part of uh, – we're going to have a fun get-together this weekend here. I'm really looking forward to this. So to the Wall Street Journal, Facebook imposes limits on election content bans. Stop the Steel Group. Company announces new measures to restrict the spread of false and possibly dangerous material. And it's worth pointing out with Facebook, these rules apply to you little peons who aren't government officials and politicians, but not to politicians with their election ads. Those are, those are protected political speech. The, the nonsense from Facebook, if you're paying any attention, should be enough to, to, to make anyone sick and say, you know, we really, we really need to promote Bitcoin if only as a means of promoting an entirely alternative system of, of, of information with blockchain on the internet so we can get the blockchain-based social media so we can have real freedom of speech online and get to the point where we can realize the potential power of the internet. And when they say, well, political speech is something that, that we can justify the censorship of, I just hope we take it as, as more motivation. The story from Wall Street Journal continues. Facebook, Inc. is tightening its grip on speech across its platforms, invoking some of the emergency measures that executives previously described as their break-glass options to respond to post-election unrest. The company announced temporary measures to limit the spread of false and possibly dangerous content late on Thursday, hours after it took down a fast-growing group called Stop the Steal that was organizing Protests of vote counts around the country. The new measures are the most aggressive steps yet by the social media company to police the debate over the election results and will alter the platform in ways both noticeable and unseen for users. And obviously that's the point. Our new feature will, one new feature will be to require users seeking to share election related material to click through a notice encouraging them to visit Facebook's voting information center a form of friction that serves as a break on the spread of problematic posts. I like the Wall Street Journal's language there. Problematic posts. The Wall Street Journal is supposed to be sort of conservative bias, uh, right-leaning, and then they get all SJW on us when it comes to freedom of speech, saying, well, those posts are problematic. Okay, sure. But what is likely a bigger change will occur behind the scenes as the company just the algorithm, algorithms that classify and rank content. Now, you know, you, if you know anything about Facebook, if you've been following Facebook in the news, you know that it has been a huge source of manipulation of the general conversation. If you've been following us in the show at all, you know that shadow banning is a real thing and that there are groups on Facebook that aren't Facebook that uh, outside groups that manipulate Facebook into censoring, especially around guns. This was a major issue. Big story we covered a couple years ago where there was essentially an anti-gun troll group that would find anything on Facebook gun-related and flag it. Whether it was a violation of uh, terms of service, community guidelines or not, they would flag it because sometimes Facebook would make the mistake of going with the flag and, and, and taking the content down. And so in a sense... Facebook has been uh, has been a weaponizable information system where anybody can uh, you know single someone else out for censorship. And given given what I know, given the, the alerts that I've gotten and, and posts that I've seen taken down, and where I'm at now, it, it's pretty clear that I'm in that unique category. And again, I take I take encouragement from this 
that, that I'm in that unique category of sort of either automatically flagged or shadow banned or, or whatever it is that's happening on Facebook. Uh, if you look at, you know, I had a page with 100,000 plus followers for Adam versus the man decided to uh, to delete that, get away from that, to, to say, well, maybe on my personal page, you know, I won't have to give Facebook money to have promoted posts and I'll get a fair shake in, in, in people's feeds who are following me or friends of mine. And now I have 25,000 something plus followers and 4,000 something friends on Facebook. And then we go live and get five viewers and you're like, really Facebook? This is a fraud. This is a fraud. This is a dangerous fraud. And it's, it's not only all that reason, all, you know, all that more reason to, to be involved and to be a, a conscientious consumer of information. Again, that's the first thing, bottom line. Looking at the world today, you cannot let the social media that you are on give you your news. You cannot, uh, unless you're going, like, through your feeds, excuse me, I got to be specific. Uh, your feeds in, on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, even Instagram, all very heavily manipulated to squash any narrative, any message, any information that challenges the existing power structure that gives these corporate giants their power, right? Of course, they're going to defend themselves uh, in that sense. And if you, you can use these platforms, but please, please don't entrust them with that journalistic uh, responsibility when you only have a few minutes every day, perhaps, to, to read the news, to look at your Facebook feed, uh, even connecting with your friends. You cannot trust the feed to do that. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it, and, and I don't know the answer to this, uh, you know, whether we should fight Facebook or get away from it, but one way or another, this is not going to last because there are enough people paying attention like you who understand that. Shit's fucked up, and it's got to change, and we got to change it. And Facebook and social media censorship is a major part of the problem of what is holding back humanity right now from progress and from realizing the beautiful potential in the power of the Internet to connect the whole human family in a much more positive, humane, and inclusive conversation. And right now, people are being shut out, and it's not that. And it is sad. Uh, I'm, I'm in a, you know, in a, in a sense, I, I'm, I'm upset. I'm disappointed. But overall, I'm, I'm still encouraged by the validation that we get from this about the power of the message of freedom and the threat that we represent to the existing power structure. You're not over the target. You're not catching slack, right? All right. Let's uh, before we get to our expatriation block. Although you know, I might. I might have to hold this one for Monday. Let's check in with comment Jim Freedom and the uh, the the audience watching live right now. Jim, we didn't get much past the election in the headlines today, did we? Uh, not really, but it happens. You know what? You know, it's the way it goes. Well, you know, I I I, I there there's a lot going on that we're not seeing that we're not going to get in headlines until. Uh, people start paying attention to something other than the election. You know, don't look at look at the right hand. Don't see what the left hand is doing. Whatever. But uh, there, there isn't. You know, like, what do we have for other critical headlines today? 
you know, I wanted to do this this expatriation block and talk about good cops and bad cops. Um, I, I, let me let me do one more real quick here with 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 you on stage here, Jim, from Observer.com because this is this is kind of a ju- this is a juicy conversation subject. But uh, tracking Elon Musk's fifty six billion dollar Tesla bonus, when's he getting that cash? Uh, I would more be asking. Where the heck is this cash coming from? And as much as I'm a fan of what Elon Musk is doing in general, obviously he is doing it with a lot of help of government recently, even seeking out defense contract. So, you know, how, how can you – I don't want to judge Elon personally. You know, he might be thinking that uh, at some point – you know, you might have a longer game here, which is, hey, I'm going to suck all this money out of government – uh, with the excuse of using it to build these incredible companies and technologies that are really uh, important for human progress towards a voluntary society. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to use my personal profits to say, hey, screw you guys who gave me all this money because you sold from the American people. Let's give it back. Let's have a, a libertarian revolution. You know, I, I don't want – obviously, Elon Musk is is quite brilliant, quite capable, and quite engaged in a longer game than any individual political cycle. But uh, this, this this is really important because he is the, I, I think, uh, single biggest uh, profiteer of the corona period of the last eight months at least. The story says, despite an unprecedented pandemic that has crippled many sectors of global economy, Tesla and SpaceX CEO Elon Musk has seen his fortune quadruple this year. At a time, at a time of writing, his net worth stands at $105 billion, closely trailing Zuckerberg, Gates, and Bezos as the world's fourth richest person. Most of Musk's wealth gain this year comes from Tesla's surging stock, stock price as well as his increased ownership of the company. Um, and now he's had, uh, you know, stock options and packages and bonuses and, and, and things like that. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. I'm, 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 I, I hope people appreciate that I'm sort of holding out judgment for Elon Musk. I have friends. I have good friends. That's not me saying, hold on, there's a second part to the sense. This is not me trying to, oh, no, no, I have friends. I have friends. Uh, I'm not just some loser living in the mountains by myself up here with my animals. Uh, but no, I have I, I have friends who are definitely libertarian, who are fans of Elon Musk, like big fans of Elon Musk, and I have friends who are the opposite, who go, no, you know, he's he's just another corporatist government profiteer, and because I I I can appreciate what he's doing, and I haven't seen him advocate or anything pro-statism or really even growing government, I, I would, and even then, uh, you know, I, I would hesitate. When he, uh, the other thing is he said, uh, well, there's one, there's a couple very libertarian things he asked that I think about exploring Mars with SpaceX, saying that they would set up their own government, right? We, we um, covered that story briefly last week. In a sense, considering how much he has profited from government, I'm I'm surprised he hasn't had to kiss any more kiss. I haven't seen him kiss any duopoly butt, right? I, I, correct me if I'm wrong on this, 
maybe next week we'll do we'll, we'll do a more in-depth analysis of, of Elon Musk and his, his wealth gain over this uh, Corona period. But Jim, what do we have for comments? Let's uh, let's check back in with the audience. Uh, okay, well, switching gears just well before we go to the comments, if you don't mind, I was just looking up some stuff. They say Jeff Bezos. According to projections, Jeff Bezos should be reaching trillionaire status by 2026. He's worth 180 billion now, and they expect him to be a trillionaire by 20 in the next six years. So that tells you how much incremental growth they're expecting for one, and for two, I for fun, give people some perspective on the difference between a million dollars, a billion dollars, and a trillion dollars, because it just kind of sounds like. With the first letter change, it's a, well, it's more and billions more. But if you convert it to seconds, one million seconds <laughs> is approximately 11 days. One billion seconds is over 30 years. That's the difference between a million and a billion, 11 days or 30 years. And a trillion seconds is over 30,000 years. Yeah, That's Jim, the difference I, in scale yeah, between the numbers. It's, yeah, if you haven't taken there, there are a lot of great ways to to do this to to take a, a sense of perspective on scale of these numbers. When we talk about government budgetary numbers, you know, you look at usdebtclock.org, and you go, "What the hell is this federal debt? You know, national debt? What what is this? You know, you can go, okay, well, I, I have a sense of the value of a thousand dollars if I you know, value my labor roughly at, you know, $10 an hour, you know, without taxes or anything else. I can say, okay, that's that's 100 hours of work. Well, take the time and go, what's what's a, that, what's a million dollars? What's a thousand times that? A billion is a thousand times that. A trillion is a thousand times that. And there are all sorts of different visual representations. Uh, and for some reason, just I guess in my in my regular, you know, coverage of the news or, uh, you know, exploration of these issues, I, I find myself coming across uh, one of these, you know, infographics helping you understand. Like, there's one with like that actually has the piles of, of dollars. You know, if a pile of hundred dollar bills well, was a, you know, if you had a billion dollars in, in hundred dollar bills, here's how big the pile would be. And a trillion dollars, here's how big the pile would be. You know, that sort of thing. And then to think about the value claim, and here's here's the important thing: is that you compare the net worth. Most Americans are effectively at zero net worth compared to billionaires. When you, when you look at household debt and, uh, you know, anybody who's living effectively paycheck to paycheck or on any kind of personal expenses budget, your your net worth is essentially zero uh, in significance. And you might think, oh, no, Adam, I've got a couple hundred thousand dollars of equity in my house or I've got a car and I've got uh, zero. Zero. In the global scope of how much money uh, is out there in private hands that is essentially a claim to wealth, you're a fucking insignificant peon compared to any of these people. And, and it's worth, as Jim pointed out, if you weren't listening to those exact numbers, if you didn't, if you didn't internalize what Jim said there, take a few minutes, go look up one of these things until you can. It, it, it's, and I think I have to. I feel like I have to do this every now and then as a refresher. Uh, and, and I, I, so when I, when I come across one of those kinds of infographics, uh, I usually take the time, I take a few minutes and glance at it and, and absorb it and go, oh yeah, 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 that's the scale. And we think about, you know, what could Elon Musk buy with 
$200 billion, whatever he wants. You know, uh, the election, maybe. Um, you know, there, there are obviously a handful of people and players at that level who control that kind of wealth. But this is why I like to call it the super plat. The, you know, the several hundred wealthiest, most powerful people in the world, uh, they, they are, you know, and it's not the 1% that the Occupy movement was talking about. It's the 1% of the 1%. Uh, not even. It's the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. Not even. It's smaller like than say, I like to point out that the, the actual richest people on the planet, like you can Google who's the richest people on the planet, and they get to the top four, but the actual richest people on the planet, we all never know their names. You know what I mean? The actual people with the most money. Hold on, Jim. Hold. I want you to bookmark that thought. I want you to remind me. I want to come back to that next week because, because like, uh, you know, trying to figure out these numbers for the election, I think that's the kind of juicy topic that deserves a, 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 a more deliberate conversational examination. Uh, and we can pull up the Forbes, you know, 400 list of the, the, the 400 richest people in the world. And then the question is, how much shadow wealth is out there? How relatable is it to, uh, or, or how, you know, how much access do people have to it? You know, what is real wealth and power? How much of a shadow super class exists, right? That's a big question. Because um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how much wealth, excuse me, can they hide? You know, does like the chair of the, the, the Bank of England or the Federal Reserve, you know, have some secret account that they're able to hide that, that isn't accounted for, I, you know, it, it was, I think, truer in prior ages that you could have a truly secret power behind the throne. And I'm thinking about the Lannisters in Game of Thrones, right? By the way, funny story about that, because I haven't, I don't think I've ever said this on Adam vs. Man, but I had a little embarrassing moment in the campaign uh, for presidency. Because I gave a speech where, when, when before I had watched, and I'm, I'm a fan now of Game of Thrones, I had resisted for a while. I gave a speech uh, that suggested that Game of Thrones was real, historical, not fiction. <laughs> and there's plenty of stuff to learn about politics and observe and take away from Game of Thrones as a fictional uh, human story. But I, I made a joke, like, or in, in my, in, in actually a few speeches before, and then I watched the first episode of Game of Thrones and saw like the people with blue eyes and the White Walkers, the glow, glowing blue eyes, that, you know. And I was like, oh, this isn't an historical documentation of the Middle Ages, after all. Whoops, <laughs> you know. Um, but my point still held true, and it actually turned out to be a good joke. But I think other people were laughing. People were laughing at my speech for reasons that I didn't understand at that point. I was telling the joke without getting it. Uh, but yeah, this question of like, like so in, in, in Game of Thrones, for, for, I know most people have seen it, the Lannister, at least a lot of, of our audience, the Lannisters were the ones with the gold. And did the average person in Westeros understand, you know, who was the real power behind the throne or that it was the Iron Bank uh, in, in ASOS that, that was, was really loaning them all the money, you know, and all that? No. Um, but now in this digital world, I don't know if you can. So let's let's come back. It's going to be a big topic in conversation next week. So, Jim, thanks for bringing that up. Okay, fair enough. Uh, to switch gears a little bit, Low Key has a question. 
from YouTube. Adam, do you think the states choosing to decriminalize and legalize drugs is just a way to silence the libertarians for screwing us out of the votes this election? Hold on, leave that on, leave that on screen. So the screw us out of votes this election – uh, you mean in science, but to screw us out of votes? Okay, so, so I, I, I'm no, not going to – the language in the question – I think he's asking if it – okay, go ahead. So I can, I can answer this question again by stepping back and, and so this, the, the minutia of this language of what he's actually asking isn't really important here because, uh, you know, what are the motivations for ending the drug war from the perspective of the state? You know, when we, we look at the state from a libertarian perspective and acknowledge that its primary purpose – is to keep the super rich getting richer and the rest of us getting relatively poor. You know, why did the drug war happen in the first place? You, go, you can go back to cannabis prohibition. You can go back to alcohol prohibition. You go back to William Randolph Hearst, the paper industry, wanting well, more concerned about hemp as a, as a threat to the paper industry rather than a, with cannabis for, you know, making white women want to have sex with black men, you know, you know crazy stuff like that and all the reefer madness silliness and the propaganda uh, so to, then you, you move on and you go okay then there were all these other major rising corporate interests that kept cannabis illegal and escalated the drug war made mdma illegal uh because there were the pharmaceutical companies there were uh you know this the the uh, law enforcement equipment manufacturers the sort of you know, defense yeah, that sort of you know we talk about the military industrial complex um that term does not specifically encompass manufacturers of law enforcement equipment, but because but it does because so much of law enforcement equipment that state and local governments enjoy is handed down from the military and from federal law enforcement agencies and so on. And so there's there's a significant interest there, uh, and and all the other corporate interests that wanted to keep drugs illegal. And so if you take an objective look at this. You might you might see that there's a shift in the paradigm and understanding with the internet, and that just the under if, if, you, if you take a sort of you give the government the benefit of the doubt, and you go, okay, well they can't keep this racket going any longer because people are waking up, because people are you know like I, I like to say that the most important side effect of cannabis is that. You cannot smoke pot and not realize that government is totally full of shit. Well, you can't look up the side effects of cannabis on the Internet and not realize that government is totally full of shit. You don't even have to smoke it. I mean, cannabis is so dangerous that it wakes, it has side effects in people who don't even smoke it, right? So I, I think that's, that's one sort of, you know, benign government narrative. But, you know, when you, the question here suggests that there's something more direct in the vote manipulation with libertarians in the drug war. And I, I don't think it's that. I don't think, it can, I don't think you can make that specific of a connection and say, you know, government allowed drug decrim, whatever, you know, drug war referenda, drug war limiting referenda to pass in 2020 because it, it was a way to steal votes from libertarians or distract from uh, the way that libertarians are being cheated out of votes. Uh, and, and I think there's a, a more general inclination here that, that is being looked at by the super class with cannabis, like, hey, if we let everybody get stoned, they're going to sit on the couch and eat Cheetos uh, instead of protest. 
You know, if we give them this, a lot of people will stop and celebrate, and a lot of cannabis activists will deactivate as opposed to uh, be more motivated. So I think that's part of the motivation. But I think the bigger one here is just the maintenance of the general racket of government, which is really centered around that purpose of the super rich getting richer. And how do they do that? Primarily is through the manipulation of the monetary supply and, and banking policy and corporate policy. So it, it, it's, I think the prevailing dynamic, if you, if you want to take this uh, anthropomorphization and cynical view or, you know, negative motivation understanding of, of government as a racket, I think their primary motivation is more like, ah, we really need to protect the, 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 the banking racket that is, that's at the core of this whole government racket. And if we try to keep up the drug war, it's going to cost us too much in terms of credibility. So we're going to keep the federal drug war going as long as we can. We're going to keep arrests up as long as we can. We're going to keep corporate profiteering up and pharmaceutical profiteering up as long as we can. We're going to keep hard drug, I mean, MDMA, originally developed for by pharmaceuticals, uh, you know, as a, as, a, as a therapy and counseling drug that is a potential cure for PTSD. And again, they want to keep drugs illegal, especially the ones like MDMA and cannabis uh, and CBD, you know, all of these, uh, where the alternative is feeding pharmaceuticals. And as a veteran, you know, I tell you this from my own experience, I went to the VA and I told them I was having trouble sleeping. And I walked out of there with five prescriptions and a little brown paper bag. Three of them had suicide listed as a side effect. And I, I didn't really, I didn't get into any of them. I didn't end up taking any of them regularly because fortunately I had access to cannabis, which is not, I don't think, I wouldn't say a cure in and of itself for PTSD, but compared to these pharmaceuticals that uh, that, that only uh, help with symptom control anyway, it's a far healthier alternative. And MDMA is, is actually a potential cure. And I say cure in a different category here, as in, you know, effectively clinically a cure for PTSD where there's a huge incentive to keep that illegal for the uh, pharmaceutical profiteers of the drug war who can instead use the government and its government money, stolen from taxpayers, to pay for all these prescriptions for veterans and through Medicare and Medicaid and blah, 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 so many others that keep people hooked on pharmaceuticals. But that motivation for government to serve those interests and that part of the racket is now outweighed by the threat to the credibility that maintaining the drug war represents for government. Uh, and we have we have crossed the point. Again, I think 2020, the election, and it looked positive outcome, major turning point, even though we just saw incremental change. I think we have achieved a tipping point that takes us from the end of the beginning of the end of the war on drugs to the beginning of the middle of the end of the war on drugs. And to, to, to back up my point here, I would say that part of this turning point is measured by the public statements of elected legislators at the state and federal level. And I think it's pretty hard today for any politician in America with a straight face to say, 
we should be locking people up for individual marijuana possession. We, we've crossed that point. That's a great thing to celebrate. And I, I, I think that perspective is, is a better understanding of where we are than, you know, looking at, oh, 2020, they're manipulating votes this way or that way. Great okay. question. Thank you for that. That was fun. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Michelle Lynn Ness weighs in. She says legalizing in some areas was definitely a crumb to hush some of us up. Like, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know about, yeah, so it's not, yeah, that's part of it. You know, the, the, the hushing you up, you know, you, you don't have, you, it's, you have one less thing to complain about. Uh, it's sort of like you have one less thread to pull on the sweater. Uh, it's like the drug war was a gangrenous limb that the government had to cut off in order to, to save the heart of the beast. Yeah, to me, it's dangerously like it's their way of tricking us into legitimizing the system in the first place. You know? So it's, to Michelle's comment directly, I, I, I want to give Michelle credit. I would just sort of rephrase it. It's not to hush us up. It's to take away one of our most effective talking points against the state racket, which is that government says what well, you can and cannot put in your body. So you don't own yourself. Shouldn't you have that right to decide what you put in your own body? Why would a bureaucrat or a politician be able to make that decision for you? Doesn't that make you question the premise of government and, and, and want to embrace self-ownership? Well, you can't say that when the drug war is over. Yeah. Uh, Colette Allen, our friend from across the pond, <laughs> the only side effects I have seen is my mom's cat got fat from the munchies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I, I would just – Take that as an opportunity to remind you of, of one of the most important sort of foundational components of, of our message with Adam versus the man is that we are not necessarily pro-drug or anti-drug use, in, in, you know, for any particular drug or any particular circumstance, but we are absolutely anti-using violence against peaceful people, using their consumption of anything as an excuse, if there are no victims, there there is no crime, and we are we support conscientious drug use that enhances your life, that is health conscious, uh, that is that is not you know we're not we're against addiction in all its forms, whether it's to drugs or habits or what what have you. Uh, the only thing you should be addicted to is freedom, right? Uh, so. With that, I think that's a, a great note to end the show on. But, Jim, have you been following the Producers Club? I, I'm seeing – I don't know what to think of this because, you know, I love the Producers Club chat, but I think some of these general comments should be in, uh, you know, one of our more general comment sections where where people who aren't in the Producers Club can interact with them, and it's easier for, for Jim to see them and, and get them up on screen here for for the show. So uh, Michelle is, is commenting uh, both – there on Facebook and in our Producers Club chat. So thank you for that, Michelle. Um, but do you, do you see that last comment from Retribution? Uh, the very last one that just now came in? Or where, yeah. he said something about let's get to the names of those people he mentioned. No, 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 this one. Um, he just said, talk to the hemp shop yeah. owners? Okay, yeah. yeah. He says, just talk to the hemp shop owners in Portland from around the 2003 marker. They were threatened by paper company stooges. I saw that shit happen firsthand at uh, Skimore Fountain back in the day. We literally beat them up. 
So retribution, you're going to have to, if, if you're saying we as in you were there, uh, we're definitely going to want to come back to the story. We don't have time to get into this today. we got to wrap up. CJ, welcome to the stage. What's on the producer notes for today, mm-hmm. brother? Uh, I wanted to share some good news today since it's Friday, Adam, uh, and uh, the great state of Meth Dakota realized that we're actually on cannabis now. And, uh, you know, what's really cool is that last night my uh, my county legalized cannabis. My county. Now, the the the, the state... Right, hold on. What, do you mean by, what do you mean by last night? Is in the vote was made official last no, night? No, as in our, our state's attorney and sheriff's department said we're not... It's no longer a crime for ingestion. You can have small personal amounts. So uh, by law enforcement declaration of saying we're not going to enforce it anymore at all. Yeah, but I mean, get on me wrong. Don't let them catch you selling it to school children on the street corner. So, but with that being said... Uh, I uh, have a a lovely piece here that I can say is a bong, and uh, it I know, is filled I feel, with I feel cannabis. I left my pipe in the car, well, and actually yeah. yesterday to celebrate this weekend, Jim, Mercedes, and Will should know, and Peter, I I, I buy a, a new bong every time I move into a new place, and I got one for the studio for the Freedom Factory. We will be celebrating with it. I got this piece just for this day, for this time, ready for this moment. And I actually have a new show, if you wouldn't mind me plugging my own new show. It happens so quick. If you'd indulge me, Adam, I have this show called Coffee and a Conversation, okay? and But now, because it, it happens so quick, uh, we now have cannabis and a conversation. So if you don't mind, would you would you mind? By, by, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I've done this live on Adam versus the man before. Ooh, major moments in independent media history you are witnessing live right here with Adam versus the man. Producer, executive producer, CJ Abernathy in South Dakota. Yeah, this is, this is big. This is big. And... Libertarians, we have lots of things to celebrate out of this election. CJ, I, I want to do the, the good news since we haven't done it with the actual, the actual good news network.org and, and wrap this up since we're a little over time on Friday. But please take the last word. Anything else you want to say about promoting the show, Cannabis in a Conversation? Can, can I be a guest? Uh, can we do one this weekend? I promise I'll bring the bong and some friends. Of course, Adam. You can, of course, you can join me on cannabis in a conversation. It would be my honor to host you, uh, a okay, champion cannabis activist in your own right. All right, thank thank you very much for that, CJ. I appreciate that, and we will uh, we'll be talking to all of our guests here in Gardenia this weekend about that. Jim, uh, we're going to go to good news and promote or promotions, good news, and, and, and sign off here. Any other any any last critical comments from yourself or, or the the cheap seats? Uh, not for myself. Low key, real quick, says decriminalization is different than legal. We understand that. Yeah, yeah, no, and and there there are bigger conversation. We can get into that next week if, if people really want to. But just short summary on that. 
there are people who point out that legalization means it's brought into a regulated tax system, whereas decriminalization is better because it just means a lack of enforcement. And uh, as I've heard some libertarians say, I want cannabis to be as legal as tomatoes. And I'm like, are you, are you kidding? You can't sell tomatoes or pick or grow them without a license and paying taxes and blah, 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 all these other. No, cannabis should be way more legal than tomatoes in the United States. And these terms, legalize and decrim, you, it's never going to be relevant to the bigger conversation that we properly define and use these terms. It is kind of an inside baseball thing and differentiating them. And if you set, present them with different definitions, you know, uh, at, at the beginning of the conversation, then you can talk about them, you know, with those understandings. But it's, it, is, it is really kind of um, a, a semantic uh, it's not without merit, but it is a largely semantic argument we're not going to get into. So with that, right you good? Yeah, All yeah right. that's it. Let's get some good news. Thanks, Jim. It's felt like a great week. Uh, I mean, mainly because, not, not like it's an election week and I'm a political junkie and I love it, but because I think we're getting past it. And at the very least, we can all celebrate the good news that we are not being inundated with go vote, go vote, go vote kind of messages. So uh, before we get to the good news here, don't forget, to the good news for this day in history. Don't forget to, to go to adamversustheman.com and support the show in the two most important ways. Uh, mainly, join the Producers Club. $10 a month gets you behind-the-scenes access and all sorts of other perks. So please check that out at adamversustheman.com or patreon.com slash adamversustheman. And at adamversustheman.com, of course, you can check out all of our merchandise that our brilliant producer CJ has put together. So please, please, please step up represent this message great conversation starters there if there are graphics i do uh i did the logo myself i've uh, pretty much all the graphics that you've ever seen uh associated with my activism uh i've done myself from the ground up with a few exceptions but uh if if you want new designs we will we are happy to oblige uh if you want something that's that's going to be a good conversation starter get compliments like the hoodie that i'm wearing today and then don't forget to support our affiliate marketers with our affiliate campaign with CigarFederation.com, where promo code ADAM10 gets you 10% off. And most Fridays, you'd be able to join us for Cigars and Sunsets. We might do that today. I don't know. It depends. We've got some interesting logistics stuff. Again, I really got to go. We're over time, man. Uh, but uh, hopefully we, we're going to do something this weekend with, with, with Mercedes and all of our other wonderful guests here in Gardenia. Mercedes, of course, is our debate manager. Check out makethemdebate.com and what's possible there. And then go follow us on Instagram. If you're not on Instagram, you can still look at the, the, the gallery, instagram.com slash thegardenoffreedom. And uh, we'll have some more stuff up on there for you this weekend as well. So with the good news, uh, on this day in history, November 6th, from goodnewsnetwork.org. Uh, and there's some... Celebrity birthday stuff here, we're going to skip, but it was on this day in 1844 that the Dominican Republic adopted its first constitution. I don't know if that's good news or not. On this day in 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected the 16th president of the United States, the first Republican to hold the office, and the one-term congressman 14 years earlier wrote a bill that would abolish slavery in D.C., now, if you know the real history of the racism and tyranny of the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln, you might not be calling this good news, but was there a lesser evil in the race? I don't know. On this day in 1962, the U.N. General Assembly passed her. Oh, but certainly here's the lesser evil. 
You want, you want the lesser evil of the story of Abraham Lincoln, aside from the racist quotes. But my, by the way, my favorite quote from Abraham Lincoln is, don't believe everything you read on the internet. I found that on the internet. But the most, you can, you can look at all these quotes about racism from Lincoln, but the bigger undeniable historical fact, even if you want to say that the Civil War was some righteous thing to end slavery, and I, I, I can respect that sort of overall interpretation, as long as you include the other motives and you don't say that it was out of the kindness of his heart of Abraham Lincoln uh, that, that he wanted to preserve his power and preserve the Union, then uh, the, the important point is that every other country in the world was able to end slavery without a civil war. Only in America, there's, oh, we're going to end slavery? Let's have a war and kill... I don't know how many people, and, 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 and by the way, they also spent, the, the Union spent, this is Abraham Lincoln himself, spent more money on the war than it would have cost to buy and free every single slave in America. That should tell you something. On this day in 1962, the UN General Assembly passed a resolution condemning South Africa's racist apartheid policies and calling for UN members to cease military and economic relations. I think that's good news. Uh, today is also Constitution Day, so as of 1994, in Tajikistan. And on the, this is, okay, the last one here, good news by status standards. Definitely not good news, but an appropriate note to end the week on. Billionaire Republican Michael Bloomberg was elected mayor of New York City on this day in 2001. And by the way, some of the headlines we skipped over uh, this week involved the analysis of his embarrassing $1 billion bid for the Democrat nomination and the $100 million he spent supporting Biden. I think you can look to Bloomberg to uh, enjoy his perks, maybe a cabinet position in the Biden administration if things go that way. But until Monday when we find out what else is going on in election 2020 and how this might be resolved or not, keep your fingers crossed. Thank you so much for joining us especially everybody watching live, all of our active and engaged audience members who share this show and appreciate the importance of this message. Thank you so much. Mwah. Peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness. We'll be excellent to each other.